As the curtain comes down on the year 2023, we can categorize the year, headline it, a year of disruption. In fact, the disruption has begun really earlier in this millennium in so many different ways, in technology, in commerce, in politics, in geopolitical shifts. But when you look at the pattern, the pattern that's developing, connecting the dots, the disruption only becomes more intensified. And indeed, in this past year of 2023, we've seen it really explode with the ongoing war in the Ukraine, and especially in the last quarter of the year, October 7th, with the atrocities and the war that broke out, Israel, Gaza. Where are we headed? What does this all mean? How are we to interpret it? How are we to make sense to help us look ahead for a brighter future? The theme to talk about as the year comes to a close. So please join me in tremors and upheavals, 2023. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and we'll be speaking about tremors and upheavals. 2023. This program is dedicated in honor of James Clevenger. What a year this has been, a difficult year, a painful year. In addition to so many changes taking place, Of course, the last quarter of the year, October 7th, to be precise, the atrocities perpetrated in the south of Israel, near Gaza, and the outbreak of the war has really amplified to what can be called a year of disruption, a year of tremors and upheavals. The truth is, and I've been speaking about this almost from the beginning of this millennium. We go back 23 years. We all remember 9-11, 2001, 22 years ago. That was a disruption. And if you look at the patterns, at the dots connecting them, you see disruptions taking place literally in every sector of society. Let's take the internet, technology. All of us who are old enough to remember the birth of the web, early 90s, 1994, 95, email, and then of course the explosion of Amazon, of YouTube, of Google, of Facebook. I don't want to miss anyone. 
But the list goes on. Essentially, if you think about it, it's a disruption. Disruption doesn't always mean a bad thing, by the way, as we shall discuss. Some disruptions are very painful, and some are uncomfortable. That's what a disruption is. What, what did it disrupt? Disrupt how we do business, how we communicate, how we do commerce. How was e-commerce affected by Amazon, the whole retail world? You may remember Napster, what it did to the music industry. So in so many ways, that disruption began, you would say, the last few decades. But it's only intensified, accelerated. Disruption politics, the cynicism involved, the polarization that we see today, including in the media, the disruption of President Trump, his election, still disrupting the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, all the political parties, the world. We're not getting into pro or con. Just the mere fact is a disruption. The war in Ukraine, which began almost two years ago. Another disruption. And then, as I mentioned, October 7th. So if you look at it as disjointed events, you may not notice, but if you look at it in context, it's an age of disruption. And I had suggested a while back that when the headlines will be written about this point in history, will be called disruption. So as the curtain comes down on 2023, let us look at this and try to understand where is it headed. How can we, if you wish, capitalize on this disruption and turn the world into a better one? And hence the title, 2023 Tremors, and upheavals. I remember after 9-11, where the Middle East was suddenly brought the world of terrorism to the shores of the United States in a very direct way in New York and Washington. It shook everybody up. I even remember my editor at William Morrow calling me and saying, this day has changed everything. And that's how it felt. In many ways it has. I remember vividly that in my speaking engagements, in my lectures, classes, suddenly there was an unprecedented interest in everything that was biblical. Like where did the Arab Muslim world come from? Yishmael, the biblical Yishmael in the house of Abraham. Where did the Jews come from? Where did the Christians and the Western Romans come from? So it wasn't a matter of just curiosity and interest. People were suddenly realizing that there are primal forces at work in history that are coming to the surface. And it was then that the publisher asked me to re, they wanted to re-release Toward a Meaningful Life, a new edition, special post-9-11 edition, because I was writing many articles then about the events and lessons we can learn from them, which they added into a special foreword. And they actually asked me to add a new chapter it was called Change and Upheaval. So there's a 31st chapter that was added after 
I had thought I had covered all the topics that one can cover on the spectrum of life. I mean, obviously, there's endless topics. But essentially, it covered personal matters, social issues, theological ones. But changing upheaval became a, uh, a focus. And what I've noticed since, that the change in upheaval has only, as I mentioned, accelerated. So how do we look at changes in upheavals? The reason it's so difficult is because you can't just stand back objectively and watch something when you are part of that change. Disruption, by its very definition, is uncomfortable. It's taking you out of your comfort zones. It's stripping you of your regular security blankets and thus creating a disoriented situation. But there are two ways that you can approach it. One is just to be disrupted and say, hey, you woke me up from my reverie, from my sleep. Another is to understand it as a stepping stone, as a process of growth. Because if you look around in life, you will not find any area where there's been true development, growth, if, there wasn't, if it wasn't preceded by some form of disruption, it wasn't preceded by some tremor and upheaval. So though while at the moment it can be very disrupting and very disorienting, but at the same time, it's what gives birth to something greater. After 9-11, I wrote an article. I remember within days, it was right before Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, we have a prayer. It says, today the world trembles, today the world is born. The word in Hebrew, haras, both means trembles and birth. And look at birth pangs. A mother trembles. There are tremors in order to give birth to a new child. And the same is with every birthing. The egg has to crack for the chick to emerge. A seed deteriorates in the ground, rots, as it turns into a sapling. We all go through the awkwardness of adolescence. Creativity is a child of frustration. The greater the creativity, the more the frustration that precedes it. Because true growth, true birth, means a change, a paradigm shift. And a paradigm shift, by definition, means it cannot be an extension of the past. You have to shed one layer of skin to assume a new one. And in that process, as painful as it may be, is the only way that a birth happens. Look at the shedding skin of, or I would say more than skin, the shell of a crab. And it goes through its molting stage. It's grown out of its previous shell because it's gotten bigger. The only way is to shed the shell. And then it's very vulnerable because it doesn't have a protective shell, but then gives birth to a new shell, a stronger one. Look at pain in life, trauma. Maybe the most difficult thing to experience. But when you come through it, you've been through the fire and you've survived, you're stronger than ever. It's hardened your metal. That which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Life breaks all people, Hemingway wrote, and some are stronger in the broken places. 
he was not, did not merit to be one of those. Leonard Cohen says, forget your perfect offering. There are cracks everywhere, but that's how the light gets in, through the cracks. So as soon as you're comfortable and you want true growth, you cannot remain in both places at once. And you'll see, when you challenge yourself, you're pressured. An olive produces oil when it's pressed, when it's pressured. I've been lately using a line, I'm not sure who coined it. Some say Eleanor Roosevelt about women. You don't know how strong a woman is until you put her, she's like a tea bag. I should have began with. She's, a woman's like a tea bag. You don't know how strong she is until you put her into hot water. You can say that about the Jewish people. The Bible puts it this way in the book of Exodus. The more they suffered, the more they were oppressed and afflicted, the more they thrived and they flourished. I mean, I can go on and on with all kinds of quotes. The point is not the quote. It's the spirit. So in truth is, disruptions, for all their discomfort, are the only way to a new birthing. Now, I understand very well. Lives have been lost. Tragedy broken families, shattered hearts, things that have changed people forever and ever. And we don't minimize that. We don't justify it. But we look at the bigger picture at the same time. You could either say, okay, too bad everybody who suffered, suffered. Let's move on. Or in some way, I don't want to use the word redeeming, but in some way, the only way you really can ultimately free yourself is realizing that despite all of that, something new was born out of those losses. If without that, then the loss was in vain, completely senseless. Again, this is not a justification or an explanation. It's after the fact. And you see that people who have suffered and they build something in the name of a loss that they, a person that they lost, a loved one. There's something about it. The goodness that comes out of it. The goodness that comes out of comforting someone who's been hurt. The strength it builds, the resilience that it builds. So in overall terms, you can say 2023, especially the end of the year, disruption, tremors, upheavals, but with the goal of giving birth to something greater. But for now, we need to look at how to cope, how to navigate the tremors. Because we're not minimizing. We're not ignoring. We're not in denial. You still have to deal with it. So how do you do it in a healthy way? Healthy way means you cry. Yes, you feel the sadness. But sadness comes together with empathy. The empathy to those that need empathy, even empathy to yourself. The mere fact that you're sensitive, that's what a negative experience brings out our sensitivity. So the negative experience still remains a difficult one. But the empathy that came out of it is a birthing. Deeper levels of empathy, of compassion, of care, of nobility, of kindness, of goodness. That's how you get through it. And as you see it through, you ultimately then merit the words of the psalmist who says, I sow, those that will sow in tears will reap in joy. So the tears become 
the teardrops and the tears become like raindrops. Initially, they came from a painful place, but they ultimately give birth, as raindrops do, to a new growth, to a new season, to a new harvest, to new produce. That's when you see it through. That's when you, in some way, free, unleash the tremendous energy that lies in grief. The tremendous energy that lies in loss. Don't let it be an end in itself. Tap into it, harness it, direct it, channel it. That's what one healthy person does. That's what a healthy person does when they are faced with upheavals, with tremors, with disruptions. Again, this doesn't take away from the pain. It doesn't minimize, it doesn't justify, it doesn't explain. But it does something with it. So in other words, we're not looking for answers why. We're looking what are we going to do about it. We're looking at the strength we gain from the experience. And as we navigate through it, the experience helps propel us to new heights. So this is somewhat a perspective, the lens we should use to look at the year 2023. And the lens we should use to look at all these previous years. I know I mentioned many of these disruptions and upheavals. You may think I've forgotten. I haven't. What about COVID? 2020. Talk about a disruption. A global disruption. That's still affecting us in so many ways. And there too you saw the two attitudes. Those that paralyzed and retreated and cowered in fear. And those that used it as a way to dig deeper and find greater values and greater commitments. Because that, that too, it disrupted literally again every section, every sec- sector, every segment of life. What has become something, a favorite, one of my quotes, of Buffett's, Warren Buffett's quote, until the tide is out, you don't know who's been swimming naked. So when you're swimming naked and your security blankets and comfort zones have been stripped, then you see who you are. And you see what you're made of and how strong you are. So again, connect the dots, you'll find disruption. Where is it all headed? To a brave new world. I know I'm using Aldous Huxley's title, that brave new world is not exactly a pleasant one the way he describes it. I mean it in a positive way. Because that's what we have the capacity to do right now. But at this stage, as we close out the year, the key thing is to remember that all these events are here to shape us into something better. I speak personally for myself, my organization, Meaningful Life Center. Made me extremely, they made me extremely proud, my team. They've risen to the occasion. Gone far beyond the norm to provide materials, content, inspiration, strength, clarity, hope in these trying times. And we've seen the response. It's one piece of a big picture. But the goal is not to remain reactive, but to become proactive. That's what tremors and upheavals are meant to do. Not meant to force us to become defensive and retreat in fear, but to bring out the best in us 
and to lead the charge, to initiate, to reach out. In very practical terms, reach out to people. Be kinder than you've ever been before, gentler than you've ever been before, more spiritual, more transcendent. That's what times like this demand of us. That's what darkness is meant to bring out, deeper light. King Solomon puts it this way in the book of Ecclesiastes. I've seen, or I see, the superiority of wisdom over folly like the superiority of light over darkness. Why does he use light over darkness? Not another analogy. Because light over darkness has a very interesting relationship. We know in natural laws, the natural laws of science, that there are forces at work that are antithetical to each other. Take fire or water, the classic. Enough fire can evaporate large bodies of water. Enough water can extinguish the greatest fire. So there's a battle going on. And same thing with other chemicals and other, uh, other uh, entities. When it comes to light and dark, there's something interesting. Though we see them as opposites, day and night, light and dark, black and white. But they're really not a match for each other. Darkness is the absence of light. You bring in a little light into a very dark room, there's no battle. That little light will dispel the darkness in that area. If it's a very dark room, a big room, you need more light. So it automatically and naturally dominates. And he says the same thing with wisdom and nonsense and, fo- and foolishness, folly. They're not a match. However, if there's an absence of light, darkness will prevail. What does that mean in simple terms? Your clarity, your light, your awareness is the best solution to all problems. You shine a light on something, you see what happens. Where do the maggots, the parasites, all gather? In darkness. They don't like when you shine a light. All negative forces thrive in ignorance, in silence. Look at abuse, hurt, pain. As the statement, as the line goes, the devastating line. The, the silence was worse than the rape. The cover-up. Oh, there's no problem. Nothing happened. Or you're, mad, or you're exaggerating. That can be far worse than the original crime, not to minimize the crime. Crimes thrive in silence. They thrive in apathy, being ignored, because then they can do their thing. Shine a light, and they run away. You can see this is common experience. Says King Solomon, that's what we need to do, bring light into the world. And indeed, no weapon on earth can destroy darkness. Only light, a little light. So it's not surprising why light plays such a dominant role in the temple, the lighting of the menorah. You have the Hanukkah lights, the Sabbath candles, the holiday candles. It represents something, as the verse tells us. The lamp of God The candle of God is the soul of a human being. In other words, the soul is like a light. When you light your soul shine, it illuminates. It warms others naturally, automatically. And another interesting phenomenon. Light is the only thing. The more it lights others, the less it does not get diminished in the process. If I give you half a cup of my water, 
I have half a cup less. If I light my candle, lights yours. I, I not only don't I have less, but our, our, our flames join. It's even stronger. A flame does not get diminished by lighting another flame. So it has a certain inf- power of infinity within it. So when we see disruption, when we see the darkness that comes from confusion, the way we battle that, we battle that by bringing light into the picture, clarity, understanding. What are we seeing here? When it comes to healing, awareness of the problem is half the cure. If you don't have know what the problem is, it, it's very secrecy, it's very mystery. Is what doesn't let you heal because you don't know what the problem is. How do I begin to address it? So understanding disruption for what it is, that alone is shining the light on disruption to understand that it's a stepping stone to deeper experiences. And mostly that's not easy to digest because during the pain, there's pain. I feel at loss now. You're telling me that it's going to bring me to deeper clarity. Right now it's not. That's why it's so important to enter with the right mindset and while you're there to also preach, to, to work on that approach, to look at that bigger picture. That's why the focus has to be when you're in a state of disruption, not to focus on the disruption. You focus on how I can help others, how I can do things to grow. Because that ultimately brings out those strengths and the very purpose of that darkness. An analogy given by the great Maggid of Mizrich. He was a student and then became the master, student of the Baal Shem Tov, founder of the Hasidic movement. Mystical movement born in the 18th century. In uh, Eastern Europe, in White Russia, in Russia, and so on. Here's the example of a father who wants to elicit the ingenuity and the creativity of his beloved child. So he does something. He plays hide-and-go-seek. Hide and seek, some call it. And he hides from his child, but he does it in a very profound way, very creative way. The child begins to look. Being that the father wants to elicit, wants to draw out from him his deepest strengths, so he doesn't make it easy. He hid himself in a very good place and covered himself very well. And the child looks and looks and looks and seeks. Can't find his father or her father. And at some point you give up. You get distracted. You have other things to pursue. So you could imagine how the father's crying in the corner once the child has given up looking. Because the whole point of the concealment was not to be an end in itself. It was meant to bring out the ingenuity and the reunion of parent and child, child and parent, and a much deeper love and connection. This analogy he gives to explain the great symptom, the concealment that the Arizal, the secret doctrine of symptom, the say that symptom from the Arizal, the great mystic of the 15th century, 16th century. How God and the divine 
consciousness gets concealed to allow for independent consciousness, which is us. Disruption is rooted in that symptom. Upheavals and tremors are rooted in that symptom. But it's not an end in itself. It's meant to bring out deeper strengths. So that's how we're to look at it. And when we think of it that way, this void, this vacuum, can serve as a catalyst, a springboard, to propel us to unprecedented heights. That's how we look at things in a healthy way. We look at these disruptions, even the painful ones. And I must repeat again, this is not to minimize. It's not to ignore. We still have to show that compassion, that sensitivity. And we cry out for every innocent person hurt. And we pray that no one else should ever be hurt. We don't say, oh, you know, let them be hurt. We'll grow from it. No, that's not our attitude. We commit, we'll grow, even if no pain happens. That's our commitment. So when you take this perspective on 2023, I think we can say, as the curtain closes and comes down on this year, this difficult year, that we can come away with renewed hope. That despite the challenges, personal, collective, on so many levels, we will see it through. And we will become greater people. And we will build a far better world on all levels. And for that, what kind of better world we should build and could build, we'll discuss in the new year, next week, as we enter 2024, and as the curtain rises on a new year, how we can build from the tremors and upheavals, birth and renewal in 2024. So please join me then as well. Everyone have a very happy new year. Maybe a new year that is grown grows out of any of the challenges we've had, the difficulties, to create newness from the old that may be passing, may be shedding its skin, the tremors that allow a new birth, a new child to emerge. Be blessed. May we have the minimal of the tremors, minimal of pain a maximum of the growth, of the strength and fortitude and great revealed blessings in our lives. All in good health and prosperity, materially and spiritually, in many ways, in all ways. And I wish this to each one of you, listeners, friends, colleagues, partners. We've been together through thick and thin, in great times and more difficult times. And we continue to forge a path together. I indeed see you as my friend, as my partner, as my brother, as my sister. I hope you see me the same way. Let us join together in this revolution to navigate through the difficult and become greater in the process. So thank you for being there. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your help, both morally, both financially. And indeed, we are running our end-of-year campaign. 
So please participate. Go to MeaningfulLife.com forward slash donate. Your support is extremely valuable to us on whatever level you can. It helps us continue to create programs like this. And you can benefit from these programs by checking out MeaningfulLife.com, our wide array of resources that we offer, mostly free. And I'd love to hear your feedback, your thoughts, your comments. So please share, please subscribe, and please let us together enter the new year in a stronger and brighter way. May the world experience peace, both global world peace, individual peace, and everything in between. A peaceful year, a peaceful life, a peaceful world. God bless you. Happy New Year. I look forward to doing greater things into the new year. Be well. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.